I invite you to stand together as we uh, continue to worship by focusing on the Word of God. If you would stand together. And we'll be reading this morning from a portion of Matthew's Gospel, the 16th chapter. Would you join me in the reading of God's Holy Word? Then Jesus said to his disciples, All who want to come after me must say no to themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. All who want to save their lives will lose them, but all who lose their lives because of me will find them. Why would people gain the whole world but lose their lives? What will people exchange for their lives? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you. You may be seated. We, um, we, for the last several weeks, we have been engaged in our annual giving serving campaign, and the title of the series is All Hands on Deck, and we have been saying that uh, if a church is to be fully uh, engaged in ministry, if it is to be reach its maximum level of effectiveness, the church needs to devote, it, to devote itself to excellence in for what we would call ships of the church. We've looked at worship, we've looked at fellowship. This morning, we come to discipleship. I very seldom, I don't know about ever, I don't think I ever read significant portions of someone else's material in my preaching, but I'm going to do that this morning because there's a portion of a little book called Radical by David Platt. David is an uh, Atlanta native, and he's currently pastoring a, a church in Birmingham, Alabama. He gives a description here that uh, I felt if I reset it in my own words, it might lose some of its power. So I'm just going to share this verbatim. In the late 1940s, the United States government commissioned William Francis Gibbs to work with United States Limes to construct an $80 million troop carrier for the Navy. The purpose was to design a ship that could speedily carry 15,000 troops during times of war. By 1952, construction on the SS United States was complete. The ship could travel at 44 knots, about 51 miles per hour, and she could steam 10,000 miles without stopping for fuel or supplies. She could outrun any other ship and travel nonstop anywhere in the world in less than 10 days. The SS United States was the fastest and most reliable troop carrier in the world. The only catch is she never carried troops. At least not in any official capacity. The ship was put on standby once during the Cuban Missile Crisis of 1962, but otherwise she was never used in all her capacity by the United States Navy. Instead, the SS United States became a luxury liner for presidents, heads of state, and a variety of other celebrities who traveled on her during her 17 years of service. As a luxury liner, she couldn't carry 15,000 people. Instead, she could house just under 2,000 passengers. Those passengers could enjoy the luxuries of 695 staterooms, four dining salons, Three bars, two theaters, 
five acres of open deck with a heated pool, 19 elevators, and the comfort of the world's first fully air-conditioned passenger ship. Instead of a vessel being used for battle during wartime, the SS United States became a means of indulgence for wealthy patrons who desired to coast peacefully across the Atlantic. Things look radically different on a luxury liner than they do on a troop carrier. The faces of soldiers preparing for battle and those of patrons enjoying their bonbons are radically different. The conservation of resources on a troop carrier contrasts sharply with the opulence that characterizes the luxury liner. And the pace at which the troop carrier moves is by necessity much faster than that of the luxury liner. After all, the troop carrier has an urgent task to accomplish. The luxury liner, on the other hand, is free to casually enjoy the trip. When I think about the history of the SS United States, I wonder if she has something to teach us about the history of the church. The church, like the SS United States, has been designed for battle. The purpose of the church is to mobilize a people to accomplish a mission. Yet we seem to have turned the church as a troop carrier into the church as luxury liner. We seem to have organized ourselves not to engage in battle for the souls of people around the world, but to indulge ourselves in the peaceful comforts of the world. This makes me wonder what would happen if we looked squarely in the face of a world with 4.5 billion people going to hell and 26,000 children dying every day of starvation and preventable diseases. And we decided it was time to move this ship into battle. Instead of sitting back on the pool deck while we wait for the staff to serve us more hors d'oeuvres. Are we willing to obey the orders of Christ? Are we willing to be like Him? Are we willing to risk our lives to go to great need and to great danger? Whether it's in the inner cities around us, the difficult neighborhood across, neighbor across the street, the disease-ridden communities in Africa, or the hostile regions in the Middle East. Are we willing to fundamentally alter our understanding of Christianity from a luxury liner approach that seeks more comforts in the world to a troop carrier approach that forsakes comforts in the world to accomplish an eternally significant task and achieve an eternally satisfying reward? What David Platt is describing here is discipleship. Men and women of God who understand that we are not meant to be passengers on a cruise ship, but rather troops on a battleship. Worship is what connects us to God. Fellowship is what keeps us connected to one another. Discipleship is what connects us to the world around us and moves us out of here, out into the world, to be the agents and servants of Christ. Discipleship. So what does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to live a life of discipleship? To help me out with that, I'm going to ask for two volunteers. Now, I'm not going to ask, I'm just going to recruit. Uh, LaDon, I want you to come up here, and uh, Mike, I want you to come up here.
That's what you get for sitting on the front row. Now, I want you all just to stand uh, right here and just face, face the folks out there. Now, we're going to assume for purposes of this illustration that these two gentlemen are believers in Jesus Christ. And if, if I were to ask these guys, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? They would probably say yes. If I asked them, do you believe that, uh, that Christ died on the cross for our salvation? They would probably say yes. So let's assume that they are believers, okay? Here's the question. Which one of these two is a disciple of Jesus Christ? You don't know. You see, we cannot tell by looking at them whether or not they're a disciple. You see, a disciple, we know that, we know that they are a disciple if there's something up here and there's something in his, in his heart and it's a matter of how they use their hands and feet, how they use their lives to serve Jesus. You see, believing in Jesus does not equate automatically with being a disciple of Jesus. It equates maybe to being a member of the church, but discipleship is deeper. It's far more involved. And by simply looking at them, we're assuming we know they're believers, but are they disciples? We do not know. The only way we're going to know is if we follow them around for a while and see how they live, see how they live out the belief that they say they have. The effectiveness of a church's ministry is not determined by the number of members it has, but by the number of disciples that are part of that church's life. Guys, thank you very much. Let's give them a big hand for, what they, for helping us out. So, what does it mean to be a disciple? Jesus answers that question this way. Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself, take up their cross, and follow me. Now, at the core of those three instructions is a concept is profoundly important in understanding discipleship. It's one little word, and it's the word surrender. Surrender. Disciple is one whose life is surrendered to Jesus Christ. Now, we don't like that word surrender. It seems so defeatist. It seems like we're giving up. And so we avoid that word surrender. But when that word is used in a sentence about the Christian faith and defining our relationship with Jesus Christ, uh, it is anything but giving up. As a matter of fact, some have described it this way. In every other kingdom you talk about, surrender is the ultimate symbol of defeat. But in the kingdom of God, surrender is the ultimate symbol of victory. That's really what Jesus was getting at in verse 25 of our text when he says, all of you who want to save their lives, in other words, keep it for themselves, are going to lose it. But all who lose their life for my sake, in other words, surrender to me, those are the folks that will find life. 
A disciple is one who surrenders his or her heart to God and therefore finds life that would not have been possible were it not for that surrender. So how does one surrender to Jesus Christ? What is exactly does that require? Well, Jesus lays it out in three simple steps here. Anyone will be my disciple? The first step is you've got to deny yourself. Deny yourself. Discipleship begins with a mindset of self-denial. Now, before we talk about what that is, let's be clear on what that is not. This is not instructions to put yourself down. This is not instructions to belittle yourself. This is not instructions to think uh, less of yourself. To the contrary, when we come to know God, we come to have an elevated sense of ourselves that uh, we've never had before. We are precious in His sight. We are sons and daughters of God. We're the saints of the church. Uh, we have tremendous value in our relationship with God. So that's not what this is about. It says deny yourself. What does Jesus mean here? To deny yourself means... He's saying, I want you to lay aside a preoccupation with yourself. Give up thinking that you are the center of the universe. Because you're not. Jesus isn't saying, don't think less of yourself. He's saying, think of yourself less. It doesn't always have to be about you. Put the knees in in focus of others above your own, above yourself. If, and Jesus, I think, is suggesting here that if, if, if your primary focus is yourself, what you want, what you want to happen, what you want to do, then chances are you will never be able to become a true disciple of Jesus. I mean, think about it. The very things Jesus instructs us to do are impossible without self-denial. Denying self. Jesus calls us to love other people. Put others first. You can't do that without denying yourself. Jesus tells us to forgive. We cannot do that. We cannot forgive somebody without denying ourselves the opportunity for retribution. And the joy of getting even. Jesus tells us to give generously and sacrificially to the needs of others. We cannot do that until we deny ourselves the right to keep everything for ourselves. Denying oneself is the beginning point of discipleship. And it's precisely why there are far more believers in Jesus than there are disciples of Jesus. You see, believing in Jesus requires no denying of self. None. Discipleship is impossible without it. Are you a believer or are you a disciple? But then Jesus also makes it clear that to be a disciple is not just laying down self, but it is taking up something else. 
he said it involves taking up their cross. Now, let me kind of let you off the hook. Jesus is not instructing us all here to carry a cross and be crucified on it. There's only one crucifixion was enough. But what Jesus is suggesting here is that we take up his cause. The cause of Christ. That we take up his message. That we take up his truth. You know, people love to take up causes today. Taking up a cause gives people a sense of purpose and value to their life. All kind of causes. There's LGBT rights. There's abortion rights. There's Black Lives Matter. There's Blue Lives Matter. There's Save the Whales. There's Protest the National Anthem. There's Fight Cancer. There's Stop Human Trafficking. There's Stop Hunger, World Hunger. And we could go on and on and on. All causes. And part of the reason that people join causes, like I said, is it gives them a sense of purpose value to life. And that happens regardless of the worthiness of the cause. Let me tell you, there's no greater cause that you will ever find that you can give yourself to that is more important, that is more valuable than the cause of Christ. Now his cause may involve some of the other causes as well, and it does, but it by itself is is far more important than all the other causes put together. And if you're looking for something to give your life to that will add purpose and significance and value to your life, you can do no better than taking up the cause of Christ. Now what is His cause? The salvation of the world. Proclaiming the truth of God. So that all the world would, would know the love and the power and the forgiveness of God. To instill love in the hearts of people. To, to create a just and kind and compassionate world. That's the cause of Christ. And the disciple is one who takes up that cause. Now the operative word here are the words take up. You see... Some of us admire the cause of Christ, but we've never really taken it up. A lot of people agree with the cause of Christ. They might even recommend the cause of Christ to others, but they've never actually taken it up. Some of us, we sing about the cause of Christ. Sometimes we even sit in services where the cause of Christ is celebrated, but not all of us have actually ever taken it up. For disciples of Jesus, there is nothing more important than taking up the cause of Christ. It is more important than the job or your family or sports or money or anything else. A disciple is one for whom the the cause of Christ defines who they are. It determines what they do with their life. It's who they are and what they do. And nothing is more important. 
A church full of members and believers will accomplish some things for the kingdom of God. A church full of disciples will change the world in that part of the world where they are and indeed beyond. Take up the cause of Christ. And then thirdly, a disciple, according to Jesus, is one who decides to follow Him. Follow me, Jesus says. Now, some people want Jesus to save them, but they have no plans to follow Him. What does it mean to follow Jesus? I think we complicate that. Sometimes we, we make that so hard to understand that some of us say, whoa, if that's what following Jesus is about. I, I, there's no way I can do that. I'm not even going to try. It's really not that complicated. To follow Jesus means to do what Jesus did. Jesus loved people. To follow Jesus means to love people. Jesus forgave. To follow Jesus means to forgive people. Jesus fed people that were hungry and He cared for the sick. To follow Jesus means to feed people that are hungry and care for the sick. Jesus sought His Father's will for every part of His life. To follow Jesus means to seek your Father's will for every part of your life. You get the idea here? But Jesus doesn't just want you doing what He did. He wants you to live the way that He wants you to live in your circumstances. He wants you to live a life that is edifying to all that He stands for. And a life consistent with the teachings that we have in Holy Scripture. Now, here's the irony of discipleship. And the reason why so many people avoid it. They think it's going to ruin their life. They think if they surrender to God and get serious about their commitment to Christ, that life's going to get boring. It's going to take away all the fun. Nothing could be further from the truth. Those who surrender their life to Jesus are the ones who find a level of joy and fulfillment and purpose in life beyond what they thought possible. And so, following Jesus doesn't take life from us. It gives it to us in measures that we cannot experience any other way. 
in almost 40 years of ministry, I've never, ever had someone come up to me and say something like this. My life was going pretty good. But then I made a decision to make Christ Lord of my life. My life's been downhill ever since. I've become a mean, hateful husband. I've become more impatient and demanding with my children. I'm so distant now, emotionally from them, that they hardly, we hardly ever do anything together as a family. I'm dishonest at work. Nobody can trust me. My life was doing good. I had a pretty good marriage. I had a sense of purpose and mission in my life until I gave my life to Jesus. And it's been downhill ever since. Never heard anybody say something so ridiculous. But I have heard many, many, many people, and you have too, look you in the eye and they'll say, you know what? I played church for a lot of years. I pretended to be a Christ follower, but in my heart, I was living anything but. But when I decided to get serious about God, when I genuinely surrendered my heart to Him and said, Lord, from now on, I want you to lead lead in my life. I looked to that decision and that time as a turning point in my life has given me a level of purpose and joy and meaning in my life that I never knew was possible. That's what discipleship can do. Imagine a church filled not with believers but disciples. prepares you for discipleship. Fellowship prepares you for discipleship. Without discipleship, you have received the captain's orders, but chosen to ignore them. And your captain wonders why? Why? Let's pray together. Oh God, you fill our hearts in worship. You give us wonderful friends and power in the fellowship that we experience. We must confess, a lot of us, Father, that when it comes to a life of genuine discipleship, we're not quite there. Oh God, I just pray that you will convict us all this morning. Help us to hear these words of Jesus as though they were spoken directly to each of us individually. If anyone will be my disciple, you must deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me.
the world would look a whole lot different a week from now if Christian people all around the world started living that today. God, we thank you for every member of this church. We pray, O oh God, that through your Holy Spirit, you would begin to move in every one of our hearts. Move us from membership to authentic discipleship. And it's in the name and the Spirit of Christ that we pray. Amen.